The Guardian. This was the week that the politics of austerity moved out of Westminster and onto the streets. Up and down the country, councils have been setting drastically reduced budgets. In response, there have been angry demonstrations by people who say lives and services will be devastated. I'm Hugh Muir and on this week's Guardian Focus podcast, I'm in Camden, where councils are agreeing cuts, 12 million of which will come from frontline services. There are men, women and even children lobbying the authority. The atmosphere here lurches from tense to stormy. Their message is for the councillors whose decisions will seal Camden's fate. But what choices do those councillors have? How can they stop their communities fracturing? And what if they're Labour councils who say they're being forced to make cuts for a Conservative-led government? They can't make this level of cuts without closing two nurseries, two libraries, the whole of Camden's Play Service directly managed. It's, it's decimating services that people have fought for for the last 30 or 40 years. They will say we have no choice. What would well, you have we're them do? saying that the council should vote against the cuts, should say to the government we can't make the cuts. We have they'll set a needs budget and say to the government this is cutting frontline services. And they say that the government will then send in the commissioner yeah, and then it will be worse. Well, they won't send it, the commissioner in tomorrow. Tomorrow it'll be headline news that Camden is standing up against the cuts and calling on other boroughs to do the same thing and say that these cuts are going to destroy our public services as we know them. And, you know, round the corner here, an old people's day centre, yeah. shut. And at the same time, they're using security guards <laughs> to keep people out of the town hall. The bottom line here is that we know that there's plenty of money slushing about and I think someone's got to put it back to the Tory government and say that we know that there's billions of pounds out there in uncollected taxes. Barclays Bank paid 1% corporation tax in 2009. I think we've got to put it back to the Tory government and say we know there's money there for the services that are being cut. These cuts are going to affect the most vulnerable people in society. In Camden that means children's centres, it means old people's social centres, these are the kind of things that are being cut. Uh, and it means that the Tories are on an ideological offensive to completely change the way Britain looks at the moment. And that's what's got to be stopped. About an hour after the protests began and the protesters have walked into the main road, they're in Euston Road now, and they're attempting to block the road. Not many policemen uh, chasing after them as yet. And pretty soon it does look as if they'll have the whole road blocked. You're here in the middle of the road, blocking the road. Why yes, are you doing this? We're absolutely furious about the Camden Council cuts. And especially it's going to impact the most vulnerable women, children, mothers, the elderly. What, what, I, what will stop well, what will stop in the traffic achieve? Well, we, we were blocked from going into the Camden Council, which is a public building. We should have a right to go in and hear what the councillors are saying. Instead, they blocked us outside, so we blocked the road. These cuts are going to kill people like me, my age, and very young ones. They're the ones also who will get it. How will this change that? We have to let them know that they can't get away with it, that we won't have it. There's no way that voting anymore decides things. I mean, you do, they never told us that when if we voted for them that this is what we'd get. And so the only way to change things now is to come out and stop 
the thing from going on. There's no other way. The council have, uh, have, have instituted cuts. They'll say the cuts aren't their fault, they're the government's fault. Yeah, they Isn't will. that a reasonable argument? Well, it would be, but if you've got a long enough memory to remember the 80s when some Labour councils actually refused to implement that Conservative government's cuts and just said, no, we're not doing it, it is possible. Not so long ago, we were saying that no one's interested in politics anymore. Do you see that changing? I've never seen that as quite true. I've always seen that as no one's interested in parliamentary politics. People are interested in the politics that matters to them, and they always have been. Well, most of the uh, protesters have now drifted away or have managed to get into the council chamber, but uh, outside, mingling among the, uh, the few who remain, is the actor Roger Lloyd Pack. Um, Roger, why are you here tonight and what were you hoping to achieve? I'm here because um, I'm protesting against these invidious cuts that the council is having to make. And I'm here to try and persuade our council to vote against their budget and to set an example to the rest of the country. You can't cut anymore. We've taken years to build up the services, such as they are in Camden. The poor and the infirm and the sick and the young uh, are going to have to pay the price for the mistakes that have been made by rich bankers, really. Rich bankers and businessmen who are able, apparently, to only pay 1% tax and to give themselves millions of pounds and bonuses, while people are, are going to really pay a very heavy price. And it seems to me completely wrong that they should be the ones, we should be the ones paying the price. Of course, this is the Labour Council. They won't want to have instituted these cuts. But how far should they go in opposing them? Well, my position is that they should go all the way in opposing them. And their argument is that if they don't implement these cuts, then the opposition will make them even worse. But my point is that if they are prepared to stand up, they will set a ball rolling that will be unstoppable. That was Roger Lloyd Pack talking to me outside Camden Town Hall this week. And I'm joined in the studio by The Guardian's London blogger Dave Hill, Society Guardian's Peter Hetherington, and Tom Simons from the New Local Government Network. Joining us also from Leeds on the line is Martin Wainwright. He's our northern editor. And Martin, I'd like to start with you. Um, tell me, first of all, what's the landscape in terms of these cuts on your patch? Well, the big uh, councils are coming in now with the budget cuts. Hugh, uh, just um, this week we've had uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, we've had Sunderland, uh, we've had Salford, the last two being big Labour authorities. I, I would say the overall picture at the moment is, um, I'm not old enough to remember the phony war, but it's a little bit like that. There's been a lot of kind of preliminary talk about the dire effect of cuts up here, the, the likely scale of public opposition. But I would say it's been fairly muted up to now. There have been some individual protests, mostly, interestingly, directed at councils like York, where the Liberal Democrats are strong. But no sign yet of Labour authorities saying we're not going to do this. And I think the unions may have overplayed their hand a bit last autumn when warning letters were sent out to very large numbers of people, which is a legal requirement, that the union slightly made it appear as though, you know, thousands and thousands of jobs were at risk. And uh, it, it's now coming in at very much less than that. I mean, still significant job numbers. But the fact that Nick Clegg could actually say only 200 and something jobs uh, going in Sheffield and use the word only is an indicator of that because you know people have been led to believe that it would be in the thousands. Of course there are particular perils for Labour councils aren't they? Are, are they able to take communities with them in terms of what they're having to do? Well I think Labour councils are partly because there's no alternative. I, th I think was it Mrs Thatcher who said used that phrase but I mean that's the case now that if you're somebody who's anti-cuts there isn't an alternative to Labour in terms of taking that stance. So 
councils like, I mean, Salford, for example, there's been a lot of sound and fury in Salford, but the council, uh, John Merry, the leader there, is a quite a feisty character, and he's, he's being pretty robust about it. And it's quite interesting that the opposition to the cuts in Salford, they are actually coming up with suggestions of cuts of their own, some of which are very interesting. I mean, there's one, Salford Council is, it hasn't actually decided, but it's, it's given the BBC a sort of commitment that it will pay three million pounds towards the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. And opponents of the cuts in Salford, people who you know, don't want to see libraries closed, don't want to see youth services damaged, don't want to see swimming pools shut, are saying, well, you know, why are we giving three million pounds to an orchestra cut that? Martin, th- thanks for that. Let me quickly um, go to Dave. Um, you were in Hackney last night as the council there set its budget. Tell me what happened there. Uh, well, as a resident of Hackney and someone who's reasonably familiar with the political history of that borough, it was slightly disappointing because, as the past shows, uh, we've always been the most stroppy and cantankerous borough in London. So what's happened? It was, fa- it was relatively muted, I would say, in Hackney, in Hackney terms. A sort of medium-sized demonstration outside when I got there about an hour beforehand, and the sort of usual suspects in the public gallery heckling like mad, and there was a kind of ritual element of the heckling got, got too much. The meeting was adjourned, everybody disappeared, there was a lot of joking, and then we came back and the heckling resumed, but the budget was put through. What's the scale of the cuts there? Uh, it's not as bad as in some of the other uh, Labour boroughs, and uh, the administration there, led by Mayor Jules Pipe, will say that that is to do with uh, several years of very good housekeeping. don't think we're closing any libraries, uh, although one Labour councillor I encountered in the street the other day did say well, that's because we shut them all down a few years ago, <laughs> which isn't quite true, but... You get the general idea. Just very quickly, of course, Hackney has an elected mayor, so it's a Mm. different system to that that um, pertains in Camden. Does that make a difference? Uh, Is he the lightning rod for protests there, such as there there is? Yes, as soon as he got to his feet, the cry went up, shame on you for turning blue and and what have you. But I think it would have been the same were he a a conventional leader of the council. You know, he's he's still the figurehead. Well, thanks for that. We'll talk more about the challenges facing Labour councils in particular in just a moment. But earlier this week, I spoke to the Lib Dems Communities Minister, Andrew Stanell, and I suggested that many saw the pressure being imposed on councils as sleight of hand. Is this the government passing the buck? No, we're not passing the buck. We've certainly got a serious financial problem. Uh, we're borrowing £400 million every day, and there has to be a reduction in the amount of public spending. Uh, local government is responsible for about a quarter of all public spending, and so they do have to take some reductions themselves. You would say you're asking them for economies. They would say you're eating into frontline services. You're, you're taking away the money they need for frontline services. What would you say to them about that? Well, what I would say is that the average reduction in spending power for, uh, across all local authorities is 4.4%. And that's not an unachievable amount. But of course, in a context where you've been used to a 1% or 2 or maybe even a 3% increase each year, it is a real jolt to find that you're facing a cut and it requires innovative thinking and it requires cooperative thinking to find ways of reducing the spending without hitting people's services. Because these are just figures but of course they translate into real services don't they? They certainly do and some of it is services which frankly would never be missed and again it's very often about how frontline services are delivered and the model on which they're being delivered uh, very often hasn't had a serious overhaul in recent times and 
needs a careful look. But I don't want to disguise the fact that local councils are going to have much less money to spend and do face some very difficult choices. And those councils with the highest level of spending power reduction, and incidentally that highest level is just 8.8%, they do face some very difficult choices and some frontline services undoubtedly will take a hit in some of those authorities which have the highest level of spending power reductions. How do you persuade people? How do you take them with with you? Um, Just last month, was it 90 Liberal Democrat councillors wrote to the government criticising the scale and the pace of the government cuts. So that's not about the need for government cuts or cutting out fat. It was about the scale and the pace. Yes, I mean, I think I would say that, you know, if somebody shuts my fingers in the door, I'm going to scream. And they've just had a very unpleasant waking up to the financial situation we've got. And what I'm saying to my Liberal Democrat colleagues and and what I say on the doorsteps when I've been going round the doorsteps across the country is we are borrowing £400 million a day. We can't go on like that. Uh, Look across the Irish Sea and see what happens if you do go on like that, or Iceland or Greece or maybe even Portugal. We've got the choice of doing this in a measured way making our own decisions, or we can wait for the train crash and let somebody else impose it from outside, whether it's Europe or the IMF or whatever. That's Communities Minister Andrew Stanell. Well, as I said, we have Tom Simons of the New Local Government Network with us. Tom, um, your think tank released a report this week, didn't they, um, on shared services in councils. Um, do you agree with the minister that most councils could achieve savings of uh, 4.4%? I think that councils can. I think the question is whether or not they can do that through the methods that have been proposed by the coalition ministers um, so far. It's interesting to hear Mr Stunnell talk about service redesign because so far that hasn't been part of the agenda. The coalition has made particular emphasis on sharing back office services as a means to, to going about savings and protecting your front line. Our research showed that this is probably not going to be enough, although it will make it will make a helpful contribution, but it's not going to be enough. There are some councils in London that say that it, that it, it does work. Um, I think Hammersmith and Fulham and a couple of others are planning to do that, aren't they? Yeah, well, the Hammersmith and Fulham, Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea model is actually an incredibly extensive model of shared services where they've only actually left four services of all of the council provision that they think can't be shared. So that's incredibly deep and integrated as a shared services model and will take around three to four years to deliver significant savings. As Mr Stunnell says, some councils are facing 8.8% reductions in the first year alone. And if you just go about shared services in the way that perhaps communities have been talking about so far, which is in your back office, that's probably not going to be enough. So you and can make savings, but it will take a long time to yes, them to come through. Yes, the and you have to have a truly ambitious and transformative approach, and you have to be willing to go near the big and highly visible service areas, such as social care, waste and recycling. Peter, let me turn to you. The government uh, says that there's plenty of fat to cut. Do you see them winning the argument and persuading people that this is how these savings can be achieved by sharing services with the painless method almost? Yeah, I I think probably the government's task would be a bit more difficult if Labour had a coherent narrative, a rebuttal narrative, but it doesn't. So they are getting away with an awful lot. I mean, the fact is there's been a £6.5 billion cut in formula grant this year which translates to about minus 12%, which is usually significant. The government is very good at playing with figures. I mean, it's a variation of lies, damn lies, and formula grant, if you want to put it that like that. But but in, in, in truth, I mean, I think that the, the most visible, coherent figure is spending 
cuts per head of population. Middlesbrough, for instance, is suffering a cut of minus 108 quid per head. Uh, Elmbridge in Surrey, a rather richer place, uh, minus eight pounds. And that kind of figure is translated around the country. Interesting, I think, that Richard Kemp, the uh, vice chairman of the LGA, did challenge both Eric Pickles and his deputy Grant Shapps to come to any local government finance desk in the country to speak to any chief finance officer and explain to them how on earth the authorities could survive without significant cuts in frontline services. What? Interesting, Pickles has never actually taken up that challenge. So I think there is a big issue there. And the, the really big issue, frankly, isn't so much people do accept there has to be significant cuts in local authority budgets. The fact is, undeniably, there's been significant front-loading this year. Mm -hmm. So the first year of CSR, which kicks in on April the 1st, is going to see these very substantial cuts of 12% of formula grant. Sorry, the comprehensive spending review, the the four years. So so that's one big issue. And even even Tory councillors in very senior positions in the country are saying, we're with you uh, when it comes to making significant cuts, but please give us time to rearrange our facilities, our services, to make these cuts you're not giving us that time. So what was really happening here, because you sat down and you've spoken to Eric Pickles, mm. is there just high politics going on here? Or does he really believe that councils, if they are more efficient, can actually achieve these savings? I, I think it is. I mean, I think Eric Pickles' problem really is that um, he went to the Treasury right, uh, right at the beginning of negotiations um, on the forthcoming spending round and seemed to volunteer an awful lot and didn't put up much of a fight for local government. Now, he denies this forcibly, uh, but the fact is, um, I think many people will agree, even Tory councils, that very substantial cuts have been made in the first year of the Comprehensive Spending Review, far, far more severe than in other uh, government departments. To some extent, Eric Pickles is in, is in self-denial. On the one hand, he's saying that councils can adequately cope. On the other hand, he does say, and his ministers certainly do say, there are significant cost pressures which aren't being addressed. So, I don't know, he describes front-loading as a fiction. It's pretty difficult to find out where he's coming from. And there are very serious people, by the way, who, who talk about the chaos theory in government now, throw the bits into the air, make significant cuts in local government and hope, hope desperately, it'll all come right on the night. And I think that's a big question. Let me talk to Martin Wainwright about the the way the government is trying to sell this because, of course, David Cameron pointed out at Prime Minister's Questions last month that that council is losing 15% of its grant, but he says they're cutting services by 25%, and this adds to this sense that they've been trying to to create that Labour are actually cutting more than they need to. Yes, I, I, I think a lot hangs certainly up in this part of the world, on the revival of the private sector. I mean, we've seen that manufacturing is actually going up and there are, there are good signs. And it was interesting that Richard Lease, the leader of Manchester Council, which has had to make very big cuts, you know, 2,000 jobs, uh, over 100 million cuts this year, nearly 200 million cuts expected next year, is taking the view that this isn't the complete disaster it would have been 15 years ago. And he's on record as saying, you know, Manchester has recovered its self-confidence uh, we're back in business. We can actually ride this. I don't know how far people will agree with him. I mean, if you go into the centre of Manchester now, it's interesting how many of the bars and restaurants and things that made the place so lively in recent years. Um, is he just deliberately have, talking it up? Well, I think he is talking it up, and I think that I think that's a good thing to do. I mean, my own city, Leeds, has always prospered by talking it up. But but I think I think that's going to be very important to this whole issue. You know, if the private sector, if the economy of the northern cities uh, does turn round. Tom, Tom Simons, if if um, Manchester is able to to approach this with a certain level of confidence to say that we will get through, does that imply that actually there was quite a lot of fat to be cut? That there could that there are economies that could have been 
made fairly <clears throat> painlessly. I mean, I think to suggest that there are there is no waste and there's no there's no slack in local government would be would be quite crazy. But at the same time, to suggest that you can make all your savings through merely sharing your back office, slashing a bit of chief exec pay, and cutting some non jobs. Uh, whatever they are, would uh, be equally crazy. Our research showed that if you were to share across your back office, which represents about 8.9% of total local authority expenditure, and took a realistic figure of the savings that could be made, you're looking at saving about 1.8% of your total expenditure. And if the medium cut, as Andrew Starnell says, is 4.4%, there's still some way to go having done that. So I think we need to advance the debate. I think it's been a bit of a false narrative so far from the government that the back office savings are going to be all you need and that you can leave the front line untouched. I but think are they just overstating the case to try and get a culture change? I think possibly. I think what, what has happened by, by stating that so publicly is that it's undermined slightly the work of councils and also the, the size of the challenge that they have now. OK, well, let's talk for just a moment about the, uh, the public protest, because obviously we've talked about what the politicians are doing, but I'm quite interested in the response. Peter, what do you think is going to happen over the coming months as people are laid off and as libraries close their doors? I think the confluence of two events. Um, I think over the next year, certainly, significant cuts in NHS budgets, which the government denies, but the huge multi-billion pound efficiency savings being the National Health Service, allied to Andrew Lansley's reforms, are going to hit the health service pretty hard. That's important as well, because that, that, that will kind of coalesce with the impact of cuts in local government. I think the problem is, as the um, and I think significantly, it's actually when the middle classes take to the streets. We saw this with the poll tax protests which eventually unseated Margaret Thatcher. We certainly saw it with protests in the woodlands of England over the last few months as well, which forced the ultimate climb down by DEFRA. And I think in local government as well, we will see the middle classes when libraries start closing, when potholes in roads remain untreated, when the services which people take for granted, and don't forget every survey shows that it's actually issues like local environment, the very, very basic issues which hit people fairly hard and which are really top of people's priority lists, when they start being hurt, I think there will be some protests as well. David, David, is he right about that? You were in Hackney. What what sort of people were you seeing making a protest there? Well, I think at this stage it's very much the usual suspects. But I think Peter's absolutely right. Once the the thing starts to take effect, job losses, you know, loads and loads of people losing their jobs. Now, even in the good times when, for example, an office where a bit of local government business goes on closes down, local shops lose trade and shut down themselves. So the knock-on effects of this could be very, very far-reaching indeed. Martin, is that the same in the north? Do you kind of reach a tipping point when the middle class get involved in these protests? I think it can boil up very, very quickly, you know, as happened with the students. Things can seem to be quiet, as, as they do now. But we had, for example, young people occupied a threatened youth centre in Rotherham all of a sudden, I think probably uh, inspired by the student activity back in the autumn. A group of people in York disrupted the, the council cuts meeting there in the old guild hall, which is normally a tremendously well-mannered historical place. And it can happen very suddenly. And so, yes, I think... We shouldn't be deceived by the fact that at the moment people seem to be taking it. Um, once, once a particular place, a particular school, a particular hospital or whatever it is, is on the line, then, you know, whoomph, it can happen. And Peter, did you, sorry, go I was going to say, we shouldn't forget as well that for, for the moment, the government is actually winning the PR battle because Labour, as I said before, has dismally, dismally failed to develop a kind of coherent rebuttal narrative. What should it be? Well, I, th- I think for a start, simple things have to be challenged. I mean, David Cameron came to Newcastle upon Tyne a few weeks ago and more or less said, what's the problem? The cuts being experienced in his West Oxfordshire district constituency are 23%. In Newcastle, it's half that. The fact 
practice in Newcastle. They're having to make £25 million cuts. In West Oxfordshire, it's 775000 And And, you know, the ministers are going around the country seriously with a crib sheet. One, top of that crib sheet is actually a league table of chief, chief executive salaries. How do we know this? Because a minister left one on the table a few weeks ago. And, and, and also that kind of very, very crude cuts comparison, which David Cameron made in, uh, in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And, and Labour simply isn't challenging this at all, and it's quite, it's, it's, it's quite staggering. So I think probably as the cuts begin to bite, and as middle-class protests well up, we will find that increasingly the government could be on the back foot, except that in local elections this May, Labour will take control, certainly in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, probably Sheffield, other areas. So it'll be then very easy for the government to say, well, OK, it's a fairly tough settlement, we recognise this, but it's your wicked Labour council making these cuts. And I think that is the game being played by Eric Pickles now. Let me ask Tom about that. Who do you think is winning that battle for public opinion at the moment? At the moment, it would be really, really helpful to move away from the idea that the cuts are highly political. I've yet to see any data that that adequately proves that so far Labour councils are cutting more proportionately than Conservative councils. Even that GMB data that was released a a week or so ago didn't show that it was comparing apples with pears. And the BBC went to Liverpool last week, it's interesting, and hired an independent consultant from PA Consultants to go through their figures and prove or disprove the government's argument that they were political and they couldn't do it. So, so Tom, what about the government's argument that if Labour were in power, things would be much the same because they would face much the same problem? Well, I think Labour's plan was to tackle the deficit over a longer period of time and I think it's unlikely we would have, we would have seen such heavy front-loading of, of local authority cuts. So in that context, it would have been easier for local authorities to implement much wider and transformative approaches to savings, which perhaps would have eliminated waste without perhaps costing so many jobs in the short run. So there is an argument there that I think Labour might have had a more strategic approach but obviously that's not to deny that Labour were also going to make pretty significant cuts to local authorities David, as well. in your time in Hackney, did you get any sense of what people wanted Labour to do? Because, I mean, as I understand it, if the Labour councils don't set a budget, then the ultimate sanction the government has is to send a commissioner in to run um, the council. Absolutely do, do, right. do you see any sense that people want them to go that far? I don't think that, well, I don't think the people of Hackney in general would want to because we've got a history of chaos in local government for a start. And I think the last thing people, most people want is more of that. I mean, the Mayor Jules Pipe address this point directly because as he said at junctures like this people like him tend to get history lectures about George Lansbury and how he went to jail in 1921 you know uh, the popular rates rebellion and all that and he said well not in so many words but there isn't that much mileage in martyrdom these days because if you don't set a legal budget all that happens is you don't get surcharged as was as the case with 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 rate capping if I if I remember rightly you don't get sent to prison all that happens is that the government moves in and does it for you and in the meantime you're not allowed to collect council tax I think that's right so he said we're already cutting 44 million if you want me to set a legal an illegal budget well we'll turn that into 114 million if that's what you want people in the public gallery Peter what's your take on what the people want from Labour I suppose you've got to look at local elections generally and the average turnout is probably 25 percent there's never been a golden age of local government when there were massive turnout I mean, people basically want basic services. Their streets swept, their grass cut, their drains sucked, their roads repaired. That is the big issue which all polls show. And I think when it certainly dawns on people that um, these services aren't going to be delivered with the same regularity, there will be problems. Another thing as well, I mean, the government is obsessed or was obsessed with this kind of whole localist agenda. 
kind of contradictory in many ways. And one of the great ironies of the present, uh, let's say, standoff between local government and national government, and particularly in Eric Pickles and local authorities, is that this Secretary of State, Eric Pickles, is proven to be incredibly centralist and interventionist, the very antithesis of localism. And uh, a lot is to play out there. But, I mean, I think local authorities face a, a huge problem, mainly because, of course, there is a de facto council tax freeze, not officially. So they're, they're boxed into a corner. They can't raise any more money this year because they're prohibited. Well, not quite prohibited, but um, if they didn't agree to freeze the council tax, there'd been huge problems in the distribution of the, the central government grant. So okay, they're well, between the rock and the hard place, basically. OK, Peter, we're going to have to stop you there because we're, we're out of time. But uh, this is obviously a debate that we played up and down the country for months to come. My thanks to Dave Hill, Peter Hetherington, Tom Simons and to Martin Wainwright too. The producer on podcast today was Ian Chambers. I'm Hugh Muir. Thank you for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.